Hey there, skips and skipperettes from all across the vast and untamed electronic wasteland known only as Internetland. And welcome back to Tales from the Jungle Cruise. This week marks our first episode of our fourth season. Now, after 70 episodes and sitting down with dozens and dozens of skippers, we've just finished up three wonderful years of chatting with Jungle Cruise skippers and reminiscing about times gone by. It's an oral history of the people who worked at the happiest place on Earth. I've had such a wonderful time meeting skippers of all generations and backgrounds. I feel so incredibly lucky to have had the opportunities I've had, and I'm looking forward to moving this into yet another year of great interviews with great people. Now, when I started this, I never thought it was going to turn into anything more, but this project has become a bit of a look not only into the Jungle Cruise and Disneyland, but it's also a bit of a time machine to see the cultural impacts of Disney and the changes in society as it has evolved. You know, we've actually talked some serious topics and heard personal experiences of how working at Disney inspired and helped change the lives of so many people. Now, this episode is no different, and maybe it's one of the best examples of this. This gentleman has touched so many lives in the history of the jungle, working at Disneyland from 1981 to 2003. For over a third of the time that Disneyland has been around, Don Chapman was there. His influence on the jungle cannot be understated, and he helped guide a lot of young men and women into not only their roles at the resort, but into their roles in life. Don and his wife Lois sat down and spent a few hours with me, and I was able to put together three episodes of his reminiscence as we took a journey back into his times at Disneyland. Now, I can't think of a better way to start our fourth year of this podcast than sitting down with someone who is as profoundly linked to the jungle as any other single person. Yeah, I will say that it took a little bit of time to start the flow of stories with Don, so I know I talk a little bit more than usual in the first of the three episodes, but bear with us. Once Don starts the memories flowing, it's kind of hard to stop him. You know, also, I think I helped them catch up a little bit on some of the things that have been happening at Disneyland since they left. Now, the amazing thing is, being 80 years old and being married to Lois for 54 years, Don has a better memory for names and details than I have at pretty much half his age. So here we go, my friends. Season 4, Episode 1. Here's our time with the wonderful Don and Lois Chapman. place in March up in um, Tribuco Canyon I think it is mm-hmm. he's up in the canyons there and it's funny he's right he lives a couple you know blocks away from Dave Atkins oh so Dave and him oh. are right in the same area there's another name yeah. Jeff uh, Dave Dave was my uh, <clears throat> my mentor when I came into the park he had gone over to California Adventure and he was at Paradise Pier uh, and so I was over there he was my manager that I was, you know, checking in with and all mm-hmm. that. So Dave and I have known each other for 14 some years. And I remember when his kids were born and, you know, we've, we've always yeah. had a great relationship. So it's funny that not only do I see him when I go to the resort, because he's still very uh, prominent, 
but um, I, I, for some reason, once a year or so, we'll run into each other in very random places. Uh. Like it was like Fourth of July at the beach in Huntington Beach, and him and his kids were there. We just <laughs> seemed to cross paths on a regular basis. There's, there's some of the nicest people mm-hmm. ever. I mean, we were talking. I said we laughed more times there than any place really? else because those kids, and I called them kids, and they had such energy and so well, much. We, we had a lot of fun there, oh, in, in man, spite of we uh, did. The band and the ivory tower. Oh, it's okay. So what I'm going to do, I'm just going to do the quick introduction. Uh, I, I just throw it on record and I go very casually. Um, we're sitting down today with Don and Lois Chapman. Um, this is one of those uh, interviews. I've, I've interviewed, it's probably getting close to 80 or 90 skippers in the time I've done this. Because wow. we've had some group discussions where there's been eight or nine people who've gotten together. So as I started with my generation and the 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 aughts, the 2000 to 2008, um, at the start I just interviewed the people who I knew, and then they referred me to their friends, which put me back, you know, four or five years, and then they referred me to their friends, and as that as that started going backwards, the name that came up the most was Sue Barnaby, Sue B. <laughs> because Sue had, you know, left in that, that early 2000s, but she had known Big Thunder, and, you know, of course, she was one, part of the first uh, group of women at the Jungle Cruise. Thunder mm-hmm. Mountain. Um, you know, she was very, there were a lot of, um, the it, let's just say the inequalities of gender that Disney didn't recognize as far as costuming. And, um, you know, she was telling me that the whole thing about the, the nylons, oh. <clears throat> how they were, how attractions were for women were required to wear them under skirts or culottes or whatever it was. And when they're out on the storybook canal boats or whatever, it gets so hot that the ladies were very uncomfortable. And then there was a double standard because in other departments they weren't required to. So Sue fought for that. And, mm-hmm. and plus um, the boots that we wore. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. The boots, you never get to be sized. You wore somebody else's boot that... Whatever happened to yeah. be. And now, I mean, now but you have to provide your own footgear. Um, I think the only shoes that are still provided are the um, the costume security guards who are on Tom Sawyer's Island have those fitted knee boots, the oh, ones that look like a Canadian Mountie style. Okay. Mm-hmm. But and they actually have them fitted, and that they. But I think other than that, that everyone has to bring their own shoes now. I mean, there's been changes as everything's gotten bigger. A lot of changes. So we had Sue on the on the the, the podcast. And she was on with Tim Meltriger, and we also have had a number of other people from that generation. Uh, and every single one of those people, when they were telling stories, were telling stories about you, among other things, about your time at the jungle. Oh, yeah. so I, he learned from George Parks. <laughs> um, the genial George Park, uh, tongue in cheek. So I, I didn't have the experience of of having that cross time with you, but. I started getting this, you know, little sense of, and I'll tell you some of the stories, but just to give we you the, just to give you the rundown. I mean, it was uh, James Greathouse, oh yeah, um, Chris Lamberth, oh yeah, um, uh, the nose at all? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I can continue. I'm trying to think of the list of everyone. Uh, um, I mean, Tom Meslovich, you know, yeah. we, we went at the time. So Shada was there. 
Um, oh, you know, yeah. uh, John, Pat O'Brien, John, Pat O'Brien, John Malloy was at that party. Oh um, my God, Ian, John Duran. Oh yeah, uh, John Duran. John's interview with me, because uh, you know he's the, the, the mayor. mayor of West Hollywood, yes. and right. he's running for re-election again this year. Right. And uh, John and I had this amazing hour-long discussion I about like all the things that were changing there as far as equality rights, and you know, all the things in the '80s and '90s. So we just had this really. We had this group of people who were there during the late 80s, early 90s, and every single one of them had a Don Chapman story. <laughs> and 18 inch. And, no, and all of them, and all of them were, you know, were very flattering stories. And I'll get into what they were because I think it's an interesting. I, I think you'll appreciate the way you were viewed. But you know, there was um, there was such a reverence about. <laughs> what your role was in those days that I thought if oh, we're doing yeah. a history of, you know, a bit by bit history of what the Jungle Cruise is about, that this was a discussion we should have. Uh, because as we go on, you know, we want to make sure that um, some of the important perspectives, and we're still working on, you know, getting some of the early Imagineers, you know, on board. Oh, we're still working yeah. on, I think that our biggest catch that we're still, we'll say this till the end of our days, we'd love to get John Lasseter on because he. He started at the Jungle Cruise. Yeah. He was, you know, um, and there are some others, you know. Oh, uh, a lot. Did you know that Kevin Costner was there in the seventies? No. Oh, yeah. he was. Really? The, he was. I understand for two summers. Oh, uh, son of a gun! So that's an, and I've talked to his agent, and the agent has said, "Yeah, we don't have any interest in. Yeah, it's not going to support his endeavors." So. Oh boy! Uh, but you know, you give him the credit. He's you know, yeah. he's a busy guy. So. Oh. So a lot we, of famous people moved on from there. Oh, absolutely. The guy, um, um, there was one guy there, too, that he was uh, Nixon's press secretary. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Ron Ziegler. Ziegler. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, Ron Ziegler. And so, um, so as we're continuing to have these discussions with, with all these, uh, Grant Pachoco was one of the other ones. Yeah. I don't know if you remember Grant. Yep. Um, you know, uh, I'm, I'm going to be doing a phone thing with Carrie Inazzo. Jerry. Oh yeah, George uh, Trillinger. Uh, George was on uh, about a month ago. Yeah, we like George. Um, it's such a funny story, George. And here's how great of a guy he is, because you know he's living in Florida and he doesn't get out here that often. Yeah. So he Just sits sits down with us for an hour. We we went I at the hotel, him. Disney Hotel, and sat down. Yeah. He took an hour out of his day at the park with his family. While they were riding rides, he walked all the way over to the hotel and spent an hour with me. Him That's and, George. Him and Fred Ike. Yeah. Oh, yeah, That's Fred, yeah. Uh, came over, and he sat. And I will tell you that, George, when you meet that man now, you know exactly what he was like when he was working oh, at the park. Oh, oh yeah. I think I, a lot of them are just like they were. Yeah. If you look look back and see where they are now, I see... The phone ringing? Is that what I'm hearing? No, it's the, the grandfather. Oh, okay. But I see so much similarity now. Yeah. Well, George is just... And the yeah. talent. Yeah. The talent. I miss George. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't get to see him when he was in Vegas and mm-hmm. for one reason or another. And, uh, and you know, know I just... know the first part of, I think August 2nd, the Fab Four are playing in Orange County. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if he's coming out for that show. I think he is. I think there's something online on that. Yeah, because it's, it's for the Orange County Fair. They're doing... Um, uh, they're doing the Fab Four is performing for the fair, mm-hmm. and it's it's a ticketed show. And I'm pretty. I thought he said he was coming back out for it. So yeah, I um, think so. And then I know that Sue and uh, Laura Huff 
that Laura is that they're planning. They had one last October huh. of all the nine five one people that they got together down at uh, a brewery down. Uh, in Anaheim, and there was probably 95 or 100 people from that era. Yeah, we uh, we, we made one of those uh, trips down for that. that. And that was the banana ball, and Sue Barnaby was the one that did all the, yeah. the paintings and everything yeah. for that. Yeah, the name of that brewery down there. J.T. Schmitz. J.T. Schmitz. Yeah, yeah, right. um, so I know that they're planning another one for next year, and I, I think they're trying to do every other year, because a lot of people are out of state now, and it's yeah, hard to get people to come in. But Like so, Bud. But yeah, no, but Bud was at the uh, okay. the thing at um, uh, Tom's, oh. and he he was great to chat with. He was uh, Ed Cunningham was there. We talked to Ed. He's um, a funny guy. Dave Cham- Dave Champagne. Yeah. Uh, so too, it's too bad Paul Paul isn't around anymore. Yeah, Paul Lankford. Oh, Jim, um, they, they they're gone, and so Paul is Lankford was probably one of the nicest nicest guys I ever met. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean. He would just do anything for you, give you anything that he had. Yeah. If you wanted it, you know, if he thought you wanted, he'd give it to you anyway. Yeah, yeah. there's so and many of them. A, yeah. Such a fabulous guy. Just too bad he had to go. And who's the his one time. that has the other? Who has a dog just like ours? Oh, Jerry Whitfield. Jerry Whitfield. Oh, yeah, Jerry. Another eye. Oh, personality. Jerry lives in uh, Pasadena, yeah. and I keep hoping we're going to cross paths. Oh. Jerry and Jim Vest, uh, Jim Vest. Did, did an hour uh, hour or so with us. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's, he's got a dog. He has a dog like ours. Only his is gray. Yeah, I, I nothing but great things about oh, both of those guys. Smart. Jerry is. Yeah. It's um, it's funny because, and I, I kind of feel bad because um, one of the things that happens is as we talk. I, I, we kind of go down the same paths a lot because some of the memories people have are very similar. Mm-hmm. Yep. So to keep things interesting, I like to try to, you know, <laughs> to check, you know, some of the history and things that were happening within the resort. And we, you know, we got we got going um, a little bit on the things that were happening with the strike and, you know, 84 and all those things. I think it, it didn't go into a direction that was what they were expecting. So we, we kind of turned it around. I feel bad. I want to sit down with Jim again because yeah. uh, I think we went a little too serious and he has some great stories that, that of course, we want to hear. So um, we went out on that too. But that was hard because we owned a home and had two kids and mm-hmm. both of us were out on the strike. Yeah. And I think we went back. Well, even was, then, we were. I was working three other jobs anyway. Yeah. I think we went Even out while at Disney. So about four days before, I think we went back, and they were all yelling, "Don't do it!" Yeah. But they told us we'll lose our lead ships and yeah. everything else. And well, it's thirty thirty years after, wow. and it's amazing that there are still some bruised egos about what happened. Oh, there are still I, some I people could tell who you, are. I really got some vibes against me in the locker room. Yeah. Things happened and. Was not good. It was a shame, you know, that they yeah, couldn't realize it. We didn't go back because uh, we sympathized with the company or know. felt with the company. We went back for an economic reason. I didn't mm-hmm. want to lose my house yeah. or my kids we or my wife. We went to the bank you know? about the house. We went to the bank about the cars, and they said, no, no, you have to pay. And we went. Yeah. Uh, so before I forget, uh, of course, Jerry York. Uh, oh, yeah. Jerry's a good friend, and he was... He was my A-lead in the time that I was there. Oh. And he, he, for the time that he was in that position, he 
was very much the guidance of what happened. And <laughs> so this is, and I'll, then we'll start getting into some more, like, you know, time and stories and all that. But, uh, so Jerry was my kind of inspiration. He was the guidance of what was happening. Uh, of course, I'm sure you remember Jeff Wheeler. Oh, yeah. Jeff's comment to me when he heard that I was in touch with you was, uh, Don was my Jerry. He's like, for, for how Jerry was for your time, for all the guys who were there during Don's time, he was... Isn't that nice? He was the, I mean, he was the guy who held it together. Wow. And the, you know, uh, one of the stories that I... Um, I want to say it was Chris Lamberth who said this. And Chris, Chris. said Chris said that you knew that that rare moment that a joke was funny, that you told him that what was when Don laughed. That it, that if it wasn't if it wasn't top shelf that you know you liked your jokes like you liked you know that if it wasn't that it it really took it really took something rare to get a good laugh out of you. Yeah, but when it was yeah. good. I, I had a I had a, a, a theory there in the Jungle Cruise or a, a premise or whatever. My rule of thumb, I, I told the guy, you know, I'd, I'd take a ride with him when he first hired on and complete their training there, and I'd jump on the boat with him. And I'd tell him, I said, you know, I, I know you're going out here, you're going to make 30 trips a day, and it's just going to get boring as heck. And there's always that temptation to get away from that standard spiel. And I said, I don't expect you to maintain that spiel but I said for God's sakes whatever you say just make sure it isn't something that you say something that somebody's going to take offense to yeah, yeah. say what you will but just keep that in mind you know? <laughs> we, so. we we had this kind of um, the concept was that it had to be in the spirit of the jungle mm-hmm. that you know it had to it had to fit with all the other jokes and if it was in the same vein it was okay but I, what was what happened when I was there is that the one the guys who went over the top and who it's they didn't ever get to management because all of the other guys who were there would, would jump on them. Yeah. So if you told a joke that was a little uh, maybe not even blue but even just a little um, it didn't really fit or it was pop culture or whatever it was all the other guys would go over and, and before it ever went to a manager or a lead they would be like you know you probably don't want to do that because you know so yeah. there was a lot of camaraderie and self-policing in the time that I oh, was there oh there yeah. was even yeah. if they didn't come back to, from their break on time <laughs> well that's <laughs> well, that, jungle that's jungle justice yeah <laughs> so so I guess self-policing is a good uh, let's I'm going to turn back to before you came to Disney because I think that's a an interesting story because um, I, I know you were in law enforcement. Yeah. Uh, wh- where, where were you at? Well, I was started with the uh, L.A. County Sheriff's Office, uh, and uh, I, I don't know. I came home one day. I had a friend of mine that was uh, in law enforcement too. Uh, we'd met him when we worked for the Forest Service. Mm-hmm. We, we were lookouts over on Bald Mountain here in the, in the Sequoia Forest. And he came out there with a troop of Boy Scouts, and this was at the time I was waiting my background check to complete for the sheriff's office. Mm-hmm. He wanted me to go apply for his department out in Montclair, and uh, so I did. We got off the mountain, went out there, and applied with uh, his department. And uh, <laughs> I also I had applied with the uh, Orange County Sheriff's Office, and it was a funny thing there. I didn't get hired. Well, the reason I didn't get hired on. Uh, Montclair Police Department was a guy that sat at the head of the commission, one of the chiefs of the small communities around there. He couldn't understand how my wife and I could live in a 14 by 14 room 
all summer long without killing each other. <laughs> and, you know, that's basically what that tower was up there. You know, you're in a 14 mm-hmm. by 14 room and, you know, 24-7. So he couldn't understand that, said there's something wrong with me. Uh, and so I didn't get hired for that one. But the Orange County Sheriff's did, and then uh, we... Uh, my friend that Bill. had the job there, he took a job as chief of police up in Wrangell, Alaska. Mm-hmm. And uh, he called one day or he wrote a letter and wanted to know if there was anybody I knew down here that was maybe wanting to make a change, you know. And well, I had just lost a couple of dead on cases in court just because the judge was being arbitrary. Oh, I says, well, I'll tell you what, we got a long weekend coming up. I says, meet the plane. We're coming up to take a look, see you. Uh, we did. We flew in and uh, had that was an amazing experience. experience <laughs> flying an old World War II PBY Catalina flying boat yep. to get from Ketchikan down to Wrangell. Yeah. And then, I mean, they laid out the, the feast and the banquet for us there in town. Uh, the Bud Streets, they picked her up and carried across the street. It's like the old west. Yeah. yeah. And, and, that, so anyway. and that would have been in this in '69. Yeah. Yeah. And they and they it was funny because the old Quonset huts was what they called the motel there, and the PBY when it was in the water, he kept going around like this, and the water was coming in on you from the bubbles. And I said, "What's going on?" And I was kind of a little leery, so he said, "Well, the nose gear won't come up." Well, one of the landing gears. Uh, we could we could uh, take off all right, but they says landing would probably might, might make a big difference. I said, yeah, sure would. <laughs> but that was a it was a hoot. We came back and started packing, never looked. Back. Oh no, yeah. they were so wonderful to us and took us on flights over the glaciers and they wined us and dined us and the Wrangle peanuts, which the oh, big yeah. jars are. Like a dollar ten, and they'd throw them out there and said, "I'll eat all the shrimp you want." And the I said, "Oh, this place is too awesome." <laughs> and I mean the scenery, yeah. and we had no no reason not to go. Yeah, and yeah, it's sometimes it's just you know you get it, it's it's like you get a written invitation from yeah. life to go have an adventure. Yeah. Oh, we'll take it. Yeah. Not, we we just that. did. We just we put that. in the application before the police department here because we said, "Hey, we always come up here. We always camp. Why don't we go to work for the Forest Service?" Put in the application. Went back down there. Didn't think another thing of it. Got See, a got a thing in the mail, and I went, "No." We filled it out, and then we came up to see our friends because at one time we even ran ran the airport here. Yeah. We had a plane, and so we'd fly in here, and Wilbur yep. and Eva would take off. We'd fly, yeah. and he'd pump the gas. See, I and for me, I would love that. I grew up in, in you know, the, the Cascades. Mm. So, oh. I mean, for me, you know, I did all my, uh, my dad was the Boy Scout director for all the, the camps out of Seattle. Oh. So oh, there, yeah. were, there were two camps in the, the, the forest there, Omachi and Brinkley, and we would Can't. We'd go every summer. So I was, you know... I think from three, four, five, like third, my, when I was three years old, four, five, and six, those are the summers that I was up there, and I was the camp brat. You know, I was the, uh, you know. so And you didn't shrink and there with was, the rain no, up there, did you? And there you? was horseback riding <laughs> and, you know, all those things. So I grew up I in I love that. that. So for me, I, I mean, I totally understand the appeal of doing something oh. like that. Um, 
I'm actually applying uh, for one of the one-month things up at Zion for the artists. Oh, um, good. Who, uh, they bring you up there and give you a cabin Zion's for a month. Beautiful. Oh, boy. And they uh, put you up and pay for your food and lodging, and you just have to artistically do whatever, it, obviously, as a photographer. Um, but they have people who come up and do painting and who do other you know, forms of media. And there's a sculptor up there who oh, sculpts, sculpt like you know the uh, the patriarchs and all that stuff. The, oh, uh, so, but so anyway, so I I get it. For me, that's you know right up my alley. And I I've often wanted to take a break from civilization and go spend oh. a summer and you know be on a fire tower yeah. in the middle of nowhere because it's wonderful. The co- yeah. we're still part of the yeah. we're st- still part of the Buck Rock Foundation and go to all the Forest Service dinners at the end of the season. Where they all get together and tell the stories of their forest fires from the Angeles to, mm-hmm. to whatever. To be, uh, there used to be like over forty uh, fire towers in the, yeah. in, the, in the forest, and now we're down to even nine. less than we have seven or eight, I think. It is no, it's now. nine nine now because the last year the needles burned. Oh yeah, that was. But they're going to try to rebuild it. Well, and I mean, I know that there's there's we've gotten to a point where there are certain things technology can do now. As far as remote monitoring that they couldn't Satellite. do, yeah, they couldn't do in the seventies and eighties. So but I mean, but I, yeah, I mean, having a pair of eyes out there and they're finding and the satellites aren't working. Satellites, satellites can, work, but yeah. I mean, you you before they get a real reading on it or can find a a, a way to get a handle on the thing yep. and know what's really going on. Yeah. Some of these things are blown so far out of proportion. Yeah. It's like the uh, couple, three years ago, this uh, this bullfire they had uh, up the canyon here. Yeah. That thing erupted, and it just went out of sight. If they still had the old lookout on Cook, or, uh, uh, yeah, Cook P- Baker, Baker Point, Baker. you know, it would have caught it in yeah. minutes. Well, and that's, so. yeah, that's, that's a huge um, left turn that we could go off onto yeah. about how the... How we manage our forests and all that—that that I could, I could spend a couple hours just talking about that. Um, so, how long were you guys up in Alaska? So up there for five, five years. Five years. Yeah. And the only reason we came back too is we adopted a little girl there. She was eight months old, and we got her out of Fairbanks. And somebody said, "Well, how far?" That's another twelve hundred miles north of where we were. Yeah. So we yeah. flew up there one weekend, and it was how cold. <laughs> 30 below? Yeah, it was 37 below, I think it was, when we stepped off the plane. Oh, we took our coats off. Yeah, I had had heavy coat on, you know, thermal underwear, layers of socks and stuff like that. Before we started walking around town, I had to shed my heavy coat. was just walking around town in dress shoes and a a sport coat. But we loved it up there. We went out in the seaplane. What, we rented a cabin for how much? Yeah, two bucks a night <laughs> and then, on a big lake, all to ourselves, nobody else on the lake at all. Oh, no. Daily? They'd fly us in by seaplane for 45 bucks, and we'd have the entire lake for ourselves. <laughs> a boat was on there. We'd take a little outboard, and Chuck Trailer, who was the stickeen air, he'd fly over and do this, and... If we needed anything, we could lay anything out there like we needed help or anything. But it didn't. Yep. The entire lake, two yeah. bucks a night. <laughs> I mean, our life up there was awesome. We moved back. We talked to somebody uh, from up there. It was many years after we moved back here. And 
I said, they still rent those cabins out on the lake? You know, assuming they're now probably 50 or 100 bucks a night, you know. Yeah, and he says they really kind of wrote it. They raised the price to five bucks a night. We did Zion and uh, Bryce and Valley of Fire. And we went up over the, the Boulder Highway over the 12th. Which, by the way, if you never want to do it at night. That's one of the scariest Hello. drives. It's it's like two, this. It's two lanes. So just imagine the top of my finger are two lanes. The side drop off is about two thousand feet down, and there's no shoulder rails. So as you're coming over the top of the hill, it crests. It's like a roller coaster. Oh. You can't see the other side of where it drops off. So you're just praying that that road keeps on going. Going straight oh. anyway. Yeah. Just make a sharp turn. Uh, oh. it, it was. It was. But it was a beautiful trip. We had. I'll show you when we're done. I'll show you some of the. The, we went and did arches and came down through Phoenix, oh. and it was just such a gorgeous uh, trip. Um, so I'm sorry. So you came back down mid mid seventy. When did you start at the resort? At, at, with, well, sorry, it was a park back then. But. I went back to work in the automobile business. Uh, I, I went into my brother was working for Don Cott Ford. We're in Wilmington at the time, and uh, they needed a rental car manager that would turned the thing around make them some money and uh, so I did I ran that for and then they moved into a new facility out in Carson mm-hmm. and uh, then I left there and uh, wound up going with Jim Snow for Cerritos doing t- the same thing yeah. there we and, took a uh, year yeah. off too but Jim Snow Ford went down the tube my brother left there and the guys that were running they just really piddled money away and you know, you know, a lot of car dealerships you know you, you always hear the ones that go out of business it seems like it's a lot of and this yeah. is the third dealership i'd worked for over the years that mm-hmm. had gone out of business you know and left me i'd, I'd say to the bitter end you know helping them clean up the mess and getting rid of stuff <laughs> and this and that supposedly working for wages then to come to find out there was no money to pay me you know that's so right Promises. i wasn't going to do it again so i said well I don't think the park will hire me because they only really hire, you know... Young kids. Young kids and, and special people. You've got to be a 10 to go to work at Disneyland, you know. And we went over there, and by God, I said, well, I, I want full-time work. I need full-time work. She went with me. Mm-hmm. She says, I don't want to work full-time. Just give me a little part-time job once in a while. So she gets hired, and I didn't. I don't know, well, shoot, how come, you know? I mean, I got all this law enforcement background. I've been great in security and this and that and the other Who thing. Who was the guy that came to our garage sale? Yeah, so we had a garage sale. I don't know the guy's name now, but he worked in a park in maintenance, but he was also one of the park divers. Mm-hmm. And we were getting there talking to find that out, and we started talking about Disney. And, in fact, she'd gone to work there, and I couldn't get a job there. And he says, what did you do? And I says, well, I told him what I did. I wanted full-time work, you know, and, could start immediately. He says, well, there's your problem. They don't hire anybody full-time, just right off the bat. Mm-hmm. You've got to start part-time. You tell them you want part-time work, and they'll hire you right now. I said, you're kidding. No, he says, go try it. So I did. I said, I want some part-time work. I don't want to work full-time, just part-time. You're hired. <laughs> We're going to go to work on the Jungle Cruise. <laughs> and, and I'll tell you, the, I, I, most of the time, people who want to work part-time... Yeah. By the time they've been there a couple months, are sick of them trying to have them work more hours than oh, they wanted originally. Yeah. But yeah. and now you know there's there's uh, the casual jobs really aren't there anymore. It's all because there's so much demand. Well, I'll t- I'll 
we'll get on. I'll, I'll tell you a little bit more about what's happened. Yeah. It's kind of an interesting story. So, so they, they you, when you went through, they they put you right over on the Jungle Cruise. Yeah. Start. Yeah. What, what year was that? Eighty one. Eighty one. George Parks. Was, yeah, George, George Park was a foreman. Yeah. And uh, but it's funny, you know. There again, uh, immediately I, I kept asking for more hours, more hours, more mm-hmm. hours, because I needed more hours. I had a family yep. to support, and I got all the hours I could. And, uh, <laughs> I told them that year, it's in the summer. I want to go permanent, you know. And so they picked me up as permanent, but it's still, yeah, you still, you still work for short hours. Yeah. Yep. But I was available. I'd half the time I'd get talk guys into taking a day off and I'll take your shift, you know. Yeah. And a lot of them <laughs> oh, didn't yeah. want to work the party nights or oh, anything. Yeah. yeah. No, there's always available I mean I remember uh those early like oh one to oh three, I remember overtime in the summers. I mean yeah. there were days oh, yeah. where there were some days where I opened and closed the jungle cruise where oh, I was yeah. there from yeah. the morning to evening. So and now they've they've got enough oh. staff that they don't they don't do overtime unless they have to. Oh, I'll well, that was that was one of the things there too. I mean that was during one of the purges uh, uh, where they were trying to uh, change uh, the foreman and making them working leads, yeah. and they wanted to the uh, managers to become supervisors and uh, you know and it was a slapping a different label on the pig basically yeah. right and uh, there they got to the point where they said well the overtime is out of uh, out of control we're going to end all the overtime and yeah. you know we went through that period then too it's it's such a huge cycle because you know it, it's it seems like every 4 or 5 years the same Things come up within the company where they either restructure the managers, or for a while, yeah, or they have the landlock, and the you know where they only have you work in one area, and then they have a finance need to loosen it, and then they have people working all over the park again. And five years later, they tie everyone back down to one area. So it's it's funny how yeah that started with even retail with moving to different mm-hmm. areas and you're not having any knowledge how to open the places or anything yeah, yeah. and nobody's showing you yeah they just assume because you know a store on one side that you can work anywhere <laughs> well the one guy that uh, took over the park i forget uh, what his name was but he had been a manager at a mall store mm-hmm. i can't think of what his name was uh oh it was back when they started to do away with all the leads, mm-hmm. you know, and they were going to have managers there, and they were going to run the rides, you know, and there would be no more working leads. They had no right. experience. And uh, that was that was a bad situation. Here they had a, a problem years ago, the same situation. They had managers but no leads, and the ma- the rides weren't getting managed properly. Yeah. So then they came up with the, with the foreman position, and that worked immensely or just mm-hmm. terrifically well because there's ownership and then they're they're trying to go back in time uh, and do away with the leads again and i mean you had a system that was nothing wrong with it yeah i mean because the guys that were the a leads on the ride you know they they knew their rides they knew what it what needed to be done to make it run efficiently and managers that are there for two or three hours a day, if that, and got to go run around to four or five different other attractions trying to run those, yeah. they just it didn't get handled. Well, as a, as a good, for instance, uh, what happened on the, on the Mark Twain? New female supervisor, they'd hired her out of a mall, hadn't been fully trained, she's on the dock, 
Columbia comes sailing into the dock. Too she fast. hooks up the rope. It's going too fast. Cleat. Mm-hmm. Fired yep. that cleat through that crowd like a cannon shot. Yeah. Well, and you know, I I know. I don't know if you know some of, uh, but in the late '70s, what happened was coming out of out of the war, there was this this hiring group because the the guy who was in charge of all the Disney parks at the time who had been hired by by Roy Jr. whoever it was on the Disney side had hired him to run the parks and he was an ex military guy and so he brought in. All of his military buddies. And what happened during the late 70s was you had this, um, one of the guys I talked to described it as a crew cut mentality where they they wanted to have it become very regimented and very military-like. Oh, yes. And then in 80, I want to say 80 or 81 was the start of the Eisner, uh, Eisner and Ron, uh, Ron uh, Miller. You yeah. Know, so you had yeah. that that happening uh, with they, those days. Yeah. Well, so they still had. Ron stretch. was there, I think, through about eighty three. Right. Think. And, and then, then, uh, then Eisner. And... Then Eisner came in with Frank Wells. Right. Mm-hmm. That was another terrible mistake, frankly. <laughs> but yeah. Well, but what I was going to say was is that you know when that when that shifted in the early eighties, going from Ron to um, to Eisner and Wells, you had um, this this viewpoint of the company as a commercial entity for the first time. And then they started doing the Disney stores. Yes. There was the television presence starting yes. in 83, 84. Commercial, they started taking the merchant, the good merchandising out of the stores and just putting souvenir, souvenir, right. souvenir. Right. I mean, antique store everywhere. Souvenir, well, souvenir. So yeah, it's, you, it's you, a period of time that I considered uh, sad. you could sit back and watch company get raped. Yeah. Frankly, yeah. well, and it it was it was a time where how we viewed entertainment was changing, and you know the, the people were starting to have some luxury money for the first time in probably ten years. So vacations started happening again, and Disneyland started to get a little bit more, you know, yeah. a little bit busier. Well, and they were finding people were were. Wanting to spend more, they were yeah. just like, "Well, I better wait and just well, get this or that." They well, they were looking for something different, you know. Yeah. I mean, this wasn't just an amusement park. This was a family where you could take your family. You didn't have to worry about somebody getting drunk, sitting, falling off a stool right next to you. You know, I mean, uh, this was a family place. You could take your family for good, clean fun. You know, for a day or two or a week. So now, what what did you find? Because you were going into that situation and working there in your if I do if I'm doing math in my head in your fifties, I'm just mm, doing my late. Yeah, I don't know. But anyway, yeah, so that's about right. Yeah, because yeah, because yeah, this that'd be thirty years ago. I, I, I was just throwing a ball. So the reason I'm, I'm something I'm curious about is. You know, you said it yourself that you didn't think they were going to hire you because they hire all these young kids yeah. and all that. What was your experience when you came in to work for those first months? No problem. What did you? What was your experience working with other people? I mean, how did you find that that process? Um, to start with, some of the younger guys, I think, I don't know whether they resented it or just kind of looked down on on because the old he got guy. The job. You know? And. Uh, 
it was it was kind of different there for a while, but I uh, I did my work and I did my job. Mm-hmm. Uh, suffered jungle justice one time. I still think it was a bad decision <laughs> on somebody's part. But, uh, be that as it may, uh, you know, I did my time there uh, and without squawking too badly, but uh, I made sure that uh, it never happened again. But uh, now, did you, I, Lois? I'll, I'll ask you this: Is how was how was Don's sense of humor? Uh, before that, did he have a good a good sense of humor before he worked? He, yeah, in the he's a, he's a more strict stern, but but when he he likes to have a good time too. Mm-hmm. But when there's a job, it's a job, sure. you know. And and it's like I told him, I said they, they're young kids too, so they they get away with whatever when they're at home, and so that here all of a sudden they're coming, and it's going to be. I this, think uh, what but, maybe what she's saying there too is what I uh, what I was trying to uh, say is that <laughs> it was a sense of like a party attitude in the park, you know, uh, not full blown, but that really laid back atmosphere uh, that you'd find at a party, and uh, where my thinking is that well, this is a fun place to work, but it's 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 a job, you know, you're yeah. there to make. And I think you money. I think they learned to to do that because he would challenge them because it was okay. You got to have the boats he eighteen inches apart, yeah, you know. The and yeah. he, they got to saying Jappy's eighteen inches, and then and then they they got to where they had so many minutes to get the boats through. And they you mm-hmm. broke a record too, didn't you? Oh, uh, we broke broke uh, a tennis record on the Jungle Cruise twice. Well, during the time I was there, yeah. Well, and it's it's funny because the um, I always saw the presence of of diversity in ages and experiences to be a really great thing because yeah, one is. of the things that well, take a look at how some of those guys who started in their eighteens and twenties regard their time with you as as really a leader. And at the yeah. time, I'm I'm sure you just felt like you were doing your job and these kids were goofing off. But as the years went by. He their re- their memory is much, you know. He yeah. relaxed. He had so much fun with. Oh them. sure. Oh, I did. We had fun. You know, I says, I, mean, I want you to have fun. I says, if you can't have fun at the job, you know, you, you need to get another job. Oh, you know, and yeah. so many people go to work at a job and spend twenty, thirty years doing that, and they never have any fun. And yeah. it's, it's it's a drag, Hi, and they can't Hi. do their best Hi, work girls. when it's. You're working under those conditions. Yeah. So let's go out there. We'll have some fun. Just watch what you say. Mm-hmm. You know, I know you're going to say things, but watch what you say. I could and see them let's at have the some docks fun, laughing. You know? yeah. I, I used to, when I'd take a break, I'd walk. They were all laughing, have a good time. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I, I, well, I, I think that that was part of just working at Disney. But, you know, we, we've talked to a lot of people who said, and maybe this is part of my bias, but who said Jungle was different because... They were the, um, yes. to some extent, the bad boys of the park. Yeah. They, but yeah, they were a little spoiled at I times. told him that. I said, oh, you guys get more breaks and Carter has pills. Well, and yeah, yes, but I will say that it, because, yeah, I, I've always thought that the breaks there were a necessity. 
because you're talking for 40 minutes out of your hour. That's right. So you've got to take that 15 every every hour, 15 an hour and a half. Otherwise, your voice is dead by the end of eight hours. You're right. Yeah. You are absolutely well, right. You'd be lucky and, to get it through an eight-hour shift. Yeah, and I mean, you're repeating the yeah. same spiel this is, over and this over. This is one of the things I got into there was with management. You know, they... Uh, they wanted to go back to where they used to do things. You know, you yeah. jump from one boat to, to a dock position and back into another boat, and, and you only got on that break about every hour and a half yeah. or two hours or whatever it was. And I fought that tooth and told me, I said, man, oh. these guys cannot do the job for you. Yeah. And I said, you're going to use up just as many people doing it your way as you would if you do it my way. You know, you might, you might have a couple extra... Uh, man hours in the day but it's going to run more efficiently and that that rotation system is still what they use today and jungle's unique it's the only attraction at the park that isn't on that computerized rotation system where they when you punch in it tells you where to go and who to send on their next thing or whether you send them on a break Mm -hmm. so they can they can manage the breaks jungle is the only thing that has autonomy because the structure of the boats going around the way they do it makes it so that that type of a rotation system just can't physically work. And yeah. they wanted to take the guns away. Well, they did. Yeah, they did for a number of years. Yeah, then like, then they were taking the covers off for a while, the tops. Oh yeah, they wanted to roll those covers back, you know, during the day. So when it was so hot, you, you just roast, and then if you it and if the it, seats be it started hot. to rain, and you had a quick pull back because you've got everybody soaked before you get back to the dock. And then I think you were one of the managers. He wanted those boats back in storage by a certain time or whatever, and he he couldn't even do it. Well, it's funny because everyone has their... I mean, everyone has their hot, their uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Their managers have view. yeah. Managers have their viewpoint about what they think works yeah. and doesn't work. But the best managers in any field are the ones that listen to their their people to see what really is right. is working and not working. And they helped when you did when they did Indiana Jones too. They asked you on your opinions as yeah. far as the rooting of the river. Yeah, and that's, you know, had you, by the time, you know, you're, so you're early, how long did it take you before you moved into a, a, a leadership role there? Oh, not, well, it's, well, man, come on. <laughs> George Parks, when George Parks was getting ready to. Yeah, I go out back out the parking lot. Well, I, I my first lead shift was uh, on, the, on the Mark Twain. Mm-hmm. Bud was a lot of times my lead on the Mark Twain at night if he wasn't on the jungle. Yep. And uh, but, but is such a great guy. Yeah, and you know, he'd always want to go home early. He didn't want to stay and close. You know, and I says, "Well, I'll close it for you if you can talk him up to st- into it upstairs." You know, mm-hmm. well, I wasn't a lead, but they let me go ahead and stay and and close the attraction. You know, and I started doing that on a fairly regular basis. Well, then they made me uh, the night lead over there. You know, so party lead. And uh, then when. Uh, Forget well, Hank Filtz was yeah. the, was the A lead on uh, on the Mark Twain. He had come from uh, Pirates. He'd been over on Pirates, and uh, George. That's right. George left the jungle, I guess, and went over to Pirates, mm-hmm. and bumped Hill uh, Hank Filtz over to Mark Twain Columbia, mm-hmm. and 
So when, when George left, they had another s- a series of A-leads in there. Was Paul Collier was in there for a while. And, uh, yeah, that's right. Oh, uh, what's his name? Oh, I can't... Uh, was Dave there? The... Well, he was, uh, he, he was strictly part-time. He was... Uh, the nose was... You know, he had a, a job elsewhere. You know, he's got... Wound up with two doctorate degrees, so... Yeah. <laughs> Bud was... Uh, was uh, He and... Oh, um, Dave. Yeah, Dave were... They pretty had to much split night, mm-hmm. night crew uh, <laughs> leads or together. party crews, you know, like that. Yeah. But uh, I wound up though with the with a night lead in one summer on Jungle, and then during the winter I was closing lead on the Jungle, and I had one lead that I had to work for there that <laughs> he's still in the park, uh, from what I understand, and uh, still doing the same things he did, but. He was one of these guys that was going to show management how well he could do the job, you know, how much money he could save. Well, mm-hmm. by the time he'd keep me in the boat all day, and by the time I got out of the boat, he's walking off the dock at 5 o'clock and uh, saying, See ya. Yeah. I'm still in the boat. Yep. I got to have, I got to sit in the boat. I got to go tell the guys, Hey, go throw the switch, get me out of this thing. So, you know. And I go over and I start looking through the, the rotation sheet with what I got to close with, and he's I er all the closers. Yep. And I've got to extend people out into overtime. You think that was fun? <laughs> you can't do that. Yes, I can. I can extend you out into overtime on a moment's notice. <laughs> now, if I know there's overtime coming, I have to give you two hours' notice. But if it comes down to the fact that I can, if I need you. You're going to stay. <laughs> and, you know, I didn't like doing that, but, I mean, it was either that or not being able to close the ride, you know. And, <laughs> well, and that's, and you know, from uh, really prior to, like, almost the 50th anniversary. Well, there we go, everyone. The first of our three-part sit-down with Don and Lois Chapman. Now, please check back with us in two weeks for the second part of the series. Once again, thanks for a fantastic first three years. You can always find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash junglecruisecrews. Now also, if you're listening to us on a streaming service, such as iTunes or Stitcher Radio, please leave us a review. Those reviews mean a lot to us, and it really helps us get promoted online. Now as always, and in the spirit of the Adventurers Club, we leave you with a hearty and happy kungaloosh, and we'll see you in two weeks.